throws it alley. Oh! Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Just Basketball Show for September 28th. I am Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. Before we dive into deep, I want to remind you that we do have an episode just up reacting to the Damian Lillard to the Milwaukee Bucks trade. Check that out. It's close to an hour on that trade from all angles. The Bucks, Dame, Giannis, why the Heat messed up in my opinion, the Suns, Brennan did some explaining of math with that. The Portland Trailblazers, what they're going to do, Drew Holiday landing spots. All of your angles on that mammoth, mammoth trade covered in that. So go check that out right after this or go come back, go to that and come back to this. Just listen to them both. Do us a solid. But all of your Dame content is going to be in that episode. Had to break that one down solo. But Brendan got a fun set of previews today. Minnesota Timberwolves and Atlanta Hawks. We have Brad Rowland from Lockdown Hawks up later in the show to talk about Atlanta. We went really deep into the Atlanta Hawks, so I think people will enjoy that. We're going to start today by talking about WNBA playoffs. We're going to tell you first about our friends at Homage, the ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses that uses vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use the link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. WNBA playoffs, Brendan. They are cruising along. We have seen now the New York Liberty even things up. And mm-hmm. we have seen the Las Vegas Aces go up to a which game would you like to start with first? Uh, we're not going to go too deep into these. These are so early in these series. But any what, what popped you from game two from each of those series? I actually wonder if we shouldn't just talk about it a little bit through the lens of the MVP, which got announced, which mm. is a little more... Relevant big picture, uh, obviously, because like you said, you know, it looks like the Aces might cruise here. We have Connecticut and, and New York tied, but all three top three MVP finishers are, are in these series, two of them playing against one another in Alyssa Thomas and Brianna Stewart, and then Asia Wilson reminding or, or, or I guess solidifying why she definitely is. Do we do is her? Is that am I going to get into hot water doing her like we do him? Or is that cool? Are we allowed to? I think if I, I think the, okay. the, those are the, the right pronouns, right? Great. Yes. So Asia to me is is maybe where I I, I just think I want to start. Like she is. Uh, she. I was thinking of Giannis watching her in this game. Oh. Okay. In terms of players and how rare it is for there to be players who just affect the game. Incredibly skilled, incredibly athletic, incredibly intelligent. You have to be all those things to be an MVP like they both are. But the extra 5, 10, 15% that you get just by playing with the insane amount of force that they both play with, it's just one of those things that you can't really like replicate or quantify. But when she's at her peak, it just feels different to than like anyone else to me. Um, because it's like, you look at the box score, zero assists, zero threes taken. And yet she just felt like making, she made everybody better every second of the game and was absolutely unstoppable and just does it in a way that's still pretty unique and, and very old fashioned. And, and there's something about it that I think does just come down to how 
hard she plays and and how forceful she plays and how physical she can be and how much she just takes it to her opponent and so i don't know if i i'm going to come out on some sort of ledge about she should be the mvp or something i i think any of the three candidates would have been great i I don't tend to get as fired up as some online did similar to the nba but she's just on another level right now and and i think that's the biggest reason why this team has kind of gotten back on track as much as i think you know perception has has kind of shown them to be i mean she's just incredibly dominant in every way she wants to be i mean there there's nothing about the way she plays there's nothing about what she does that it teams have been able to stop i mean the only the only time we've ever seen her flustered is like in like what two games against liberty this year when they just did a really good job of hounding her and she got really you could tell she was frustrated by it post game and I think maybe more than anyone else on this Aces roster, she's just kind of out for blood in, this, in these playoffs. She's just yeah. out to be like, you're not taking this from me. We're the best team. I'm the best player. There is an assertiveness to the way she plays and the dominance on both ends that is just remarkable. Like the, the, the Wings, I mean, to their credit, were really feisty in this game. They go down eight in the first. They keep it really, they, they win the second, 19-18. It's a little dicier in the third for them and they win the fourth by six. This was a seven-point game. I think the Aces felt mostly in control because of Asia, but this Wings team is was not going to go away. You know, even without great performances from Satu Sabali, who just hasn't been at the level, I think, that the Wings were going to need to win the series. They got 24 from Arike. They got 20 from, from Howard. And, yes, Chelsea Gray was big, and, yes, Kelsey Plum has been awesome in this series so far. But this has been Asia. This has been the the Asia Wilson is is better than you show through these first couple mm-hmm. games. It's been it's been phenomenal. Yeah, and and we mentioned this I think coming off of the last series, but Vegas's ball movement just feels they've recaptured a lot of what made them so fun and scary when Candace Parker was at her peak, but obviously mm-hmm. without actually getting her back and that's that's a big testament to the rest of their star players and and kelsey plum is one of those players where because she doesn't have the ball in her hands to start a lot of possessions the assists don't always show how she can make the team around her better but she never stops moving she's so smart and decisive with where she puts herself when she takes shots where she goes with the ball if she's not going to take a shot and i think her decisiveness and aggressiveness has gone a long way in just keeping the machine kind of churning and of course it helps when she makes her shots like like it does for everybody but you just you start to pile up when all of them are are at their a game and it is still going to be enough even without Candace Parker. We'll, we'll see what the next round brings or if they can close this team out without it having to get interesting. But um, yeah, uh, Sabali's been a little disappointing. I agree. She kind of fluctuates with her efficiency in general and she's still impacting the game in other ways. Dallas feels a couple rotation pieces short. But um, if we want to jump over to the other series, at what point do we worry about Brianna Stewart? Just I mean, I, as a scorer talking, specifically? Yeah, yeah. Well, can I just give her – I want to just give her some flowers for a second because the block she had in this game that really sealed the win was the exclamation point on the win was just straight up one of the best defensive plays you'll see in basketball. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Like, she just, with authority, controlled the rim, controlled the space. And, like, she was really effective in this game, like, in ways without having to score. But to your point, I think she looks a little worn down like just looks a little tired looks a little fatigued maybe there's something with this matchup 
Maybe it's just she's carried such a heavy burden all year at times. But she was 3 of 13, 1 of 4 from 3, had 11 points. Like, doesn't just have the right lift. And if she plays, I mean, if she's playing like this in the finals, if they were to, to beat the Sun in this series, which I, I think they, this feels a little more like back on track for them to maybe do that. I think that's they're going to need her to be better. And, and, and Brennan, I mean, I think if you look at this Liberty roster, their bench. Yeah. Dolson plays two minutes. Thornton plays seven. And Maria Johannes, who I really like and I just think is like kind of a necessary chaotic piece for them, plays three mm-hmm. minutes. I, I don't – I almost wonder to some degree if they're like over just throwing the minutes like way too in the deep end for them to kind of make this as manageable. Like I – you know, I don't want to say like Stewie should only be playing like 30 minutes, but could she play like 34 and you get more out of the 34? She's playing that instead of 39? Yeah, maybe. I think Kayla Thornton would be the one person you would think could step up, and it is a little bit of a surprise. I think that she hasn't played more. You know, I think mm-hmm. she's kind of perfect physically and and versatile versatility wise for what Connecticut kind of makes you do. Like theoretically, like Dolson should be playing more, but Connecticut doesn't have a single traditional center on their roster. So what do you do? You know, she's not going to guard Alyssa Thomas. She's not going to guard Dewana Bonner. Okay, then she's probably not going to play. So, yeah, Thornton would be the one, and I'm sure it would go a long way. She just is so up and down with her shot that that's that's a tough one too. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. If if the game if the if they don't go down early in in game three, I wouldn't be surprised if you see an early second quarter stretch where Johannes in particular gets more run and and gets some sets run for her and just does her kind of. I mean, like. F- pick up game ball a little bit, you know, which, which really can change games. But yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, Brianna Stewart back to her. She, in her past six games dating back, she scored 40 on September 5th against Dallas. Since then, nine of 16, four of 17, three of 16, nine of 25, seven of 25, and now three of 13. And they've been winning. They, you know, they're four and two in those games, but that's a trend and it's you know almost a month long now so it would probably suit them well to try to get through this series quicker and so maybe that does you know lean in the direction of play these these starters more minutes and try to just end this series so that you can be rested for the finals but they're going to need her to score to beat the aces they're going to need all their players to be at the top of their game like we were just talking about it looks like vegas's are and and right now that's not the case I would feel a little bit nervous right now if I'm the Liberty. I, they've had to really be in the muck these first two games, Brendan, and to their credit, they really dealt with it in game two in a way that I think speaks well of their grittiness as a team, their ability to kind of win rebounding things being perfect. Rebounding was huge. Rebounding was absolutely huge. A 37 uh, to set 31 advantage on the glass, a really big mm-hmm. deal. I mean, but they're winning games where it's like, it's not, Sabrina was 5 of 12. She really did her work at the line in this game. You know, they're getting great performances of Pachani Laney. They're getting good performances. Courtney Vandersloot was excellent, I think, in this game from a score in a way that she hasn't always been. It's kind of reluctant to be yeah. at times, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, her so aggressiveness, I, her aggressiveness in game two was huge. And then Laney having the, the big first quarter like she did, I think that was kind of, 
the difference and then the rebounding. I mean, 24 combined for Stewie and, and John Quell and seven on the offensive glass. Like that, that was a big thing for Connecticut in game one was that they actually out-rebounded the Liberty, which just is not very common. There's not a lot of teams that can do that to them. So um, if they can keep that in check, I mean, Tiffany Hayes had another huge game. She doesn't tend to like fill it up five out of five games so like she's a great player but you wouldn't expect that every night in her mid-30s so if she slows down if if any of these things start to crack like you could see a probably like a blowout liberty win is not out of the question but you're you're right that it it's been a lot harder than i think we expected so far if you had to break it down now then we'll talk about the wolves uh 100 you get 100 percent 100 points whatever Mm-hmm. How would you break that down between Aces winning the title, Liberty winning the title, and the Sun? And all respect to the Wings, I think we know where that series is going. I'm going to put them at zero. I w- okay. I'll do this first. I would go Aces. At, it feels like Aces like 60, 65% right now. Like they just feel mm-hmm. so much better right now. I think you got to do Liberty based on their track record. I'll give them, if Aces at 65, I'll give the Liberty 25, and I'll give the Sun 10. All right, I, I, I don't anticipate Connecticut is going to win this series, despite how competitive and they deserve a, a world of credit. I still think it's a little bit, you know, uh, glue and scotch tape and whatnot right now for them to be winning the way that they are, sure. saying competitive the way that they are. So I'll go 10% for them, and I'll just say 45 apiece for, for New York and Vegas. I, I don't, I don't want to lean too far in either direction until we actually see them play each other again, uh, which, man... I'm getting very excited, Chris. We're almost there. We've been waiting since uh, May, <laughs> and here we, we are. We, look, we need it, and we also just we're in a world now where Brianna Stewart won the MVP, and Asia Wilson is out here saying it hurts like hell to not be to it. Like, take stuff personally in a way that is very good for us as consumers of basketball. Yeah. Yep. Can we flex this? It's gonna. To it's gonna popcorn. Seriously, I know. Just like emergency assembly of the Players Association and the Board of Governors. Just change the CBA, get ESPN on board. Let's just do four out of seven here because it's going to, I feel like the series is going to have like a three point point differential and it's going to go down to the buzzer of game five. Like it just feels like that's where we're headed. I will just, if we want to really like figure this out financially, based on what I'm reading about sports right now, I feel like we just need Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift to like be courtside for one game and we've solved this issue. Yeah, is Dion free? Can he fit another couple of uh, (laughs) appearances in his schedule? Yeah. Yeah. Boulder's pretty close to Vegas. It's probably like an hour, two flight. Tell tell me, Dion, like, yeah, let's... Let's make it happen. We need we need Tom Brady back at again. We need something. We need like just some rub, you know. We need someone yeah. to be able to like. We need someone to ask Kathy Engelbert two questions. Number one, why can't this be seven games? And number two, how many teams are on the expansion list right now? She's gonna be like, well. It's Speaking actually- of, do you see the news? We don't have to spend no, time on it now, but oh, the Warriors are gonna bring a team to Oakland. To well, to San Francisco. I should say. Yeah, Marcus Thompson from the Athletic broke that news. I believe last night or the night before that the Warriors are expected to be in the ownership group of one of the uh, expansion teams. And what he was saying made it sound like their deadline for 2025 or like, uh, I guess, timeline 
it almost sounded like it might be sooner than that, but they're not going to bring only one team in. So then it started making me wonder, like, are we talking about next season? But I kind of doubt that. So that either way, it's, it's good news can, to have it be the Warriors because that's a committed ownership group for sure. Well, hey, number one, could you imagine the conspiracy theories if, like, those teams come in next year and, like, the Warriors, the Warriors ownership group gets Caitlin Clark? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, uh, second, it would honestly be the perfect kind of controversy to drum up interest in that team and the league. But let's... Uh, yeah, Se- let's play things secondly, fair. Well, secondly, do you know how how soon until they're tampering with Sabrina Inescu, an unabashed Warriors fan and like friend to that region of the country? How long yeah, maybe the Liberty already knew that this was happening, and that's why they got that extension with Sabrina Dunn. Stat. Yeah. They were like, yeah. okay, can't let her even sniff free agency because she's about to move. She works yeah. for Oregon in the offseason. So, yeah. Yeah. Like very no very proud Steph Curry like friend and supporters. oh yeah oh yeah so, so all right danger zone move on danger zone just I lo- look love some tampering love some drama it's only it's only it's only good things all right Minnesota Timberwolves Brendan a team that has had um, lots of questions about them after the trade for Go Bear last year Carl Anthony Towns obviously misses much of the season. And that's where I'm going with my, our first topic, your most important player. I'm going to say Cat. Yeah, same. I, I, this is someone, there's flaws in his game. I'm not the biggest believer in Cat as, as a backbone of like a championship team by any means. But I think this is someone who they really needed last year. They need his shooting. They need his spacing. They need the best version of him. If this team is going to take a step forward, I think they need Cat healthy. They need Cat motivated. They need Cat contributing. To, to be a real asset to this ant-led team. I think that's where we're at with this. So I think it's worth exploring within that. Like you said, you're not a believer of him as the backbone of a championship team. I mean, definitely think we can say definitively now that he is not the number one player on a championship team. Like I, I think that ship has sailed. We've seen enough versions of him, enough teammates, enough setups where even when he's ha- had his best seasons or the team has been at its best, he's he's not been the best player. So why would you say that he could be? But thinking about him, looking back at his stats, watching back some of their stuff, I am a, 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 a part-time defender of the Rudy Gobert trade. Is that fair to say, Chris? I, I dabble I, I think, in defense of that trade. I, you might you, you might be a little further above part-time. You're like part-time but aspiring to get like 40 hours a week, I think. Okay, so like when I... The job I just left, I was 0.6 FTE, so like three-fifths time. Is that about what, we're, what we would say? I mean, okay, so with that said, though, I did get a little bit bummed thinking again about that trade and remembering specifically the playoff series in 2022, the way that that team was set up, and the fact that for the first time, we really had a blueprint for what it could look like for him to be one of the vertebrae of a backbone of a championship team, at least. And the presence of Rudy Gobert removes any of the upside of what the best peak version of Carl Anthony Towns can be. And so while I, I don't think that... The reason I defend it is because I think people want to bury Minnesota as like a a winning team as a result of the trade. And they just proved last year that they're going to be around. But to me, the best version of Towns is at the center position, changing the game offensively with his perimeter skill set in a way that only centers can do uh, that 
perimeter-oriented centers can do in a way that other players are just expected to operate on the perimeter, so it doesn't give you any sort of advantage. But when I look at what he could get better at, I also think that that revolves around playing inside more, killing it on the offensive glass, becoming more of a rim protector, getting to the free throw line more. None of those are things he can do with Rudy Gobert. And so, like, if I try to dream up what the best version of a Carl Anthony Towns season is this year, he, he he went a long way, taking more threes last year, upping his assist rate, really doing his part offensively to adjust. It's like, is the best version of, of Towns this year, like, playing as if he's, I mean, Cam Johnson when Gobert's on the court and then just, like, really dominating as, like, the backup five for this team next to Nas Reed? That sucks. Like, that's not putting a dude in position to succeed. And I think that, that like, frustrated me all over again from just a maximizing of talent standpoint. I think that's right. I think he's also just, I, I think some of the concerns you have with him, at least I do, defensively in particular, there was, like, this Austin Rivers thing that went around recently about, like, how, like, why don't guards get more, like, love for defensive player of the year? Like, we're the ones guarding, you know, guys one-on-one all the time. I kind of understand that argument, but it's also like big men are important to setting a structure of an entire defense. You cannot build like a competent yeah. defense for anybody unless you have a big man who teams actually have to worry about in the paint. Cat's just never been that guy. That's why they went and did the Gobert trade. It's like, okay, we understand how good you are offensively. You know, you're not Jokic, but like you're pretty good. You can really space it. You need defensive support. That's to me always been the hang up with him. It's just he feels sometimes like a one way player, even with some of the things where I do, I agree he's not always been set up perfectly and this has not been you know the most pristinely run organization during his time in mm-hmm. the NBA I mean Ryan Saunders solid guy by all accounts like been around the game for a long time was champion. not like, equipped to be 2023 NBA champion yeah who so we might have say but like wasn't really equipped to be an NBA head coach at that time I think in retrospect right um, yeah. and then you know you do this Gobert thing and it's like yeah and then he goes through all this last year last year probably feels crazy to him because it's like you bring in Gobert and it's you're asking him to change everything again and change his position in a way that's not helpful and then like he's dealing with all this personal stuff like it's probably been in a way that I think he's and almost tore his Achilles <laughs> yeah like, physically it's, it's, been I mean, a, it's been yeah. a it's been a hellacious run for him so like I want to be sympathetic but there's just stuff where I'm just like okay like it's kind of like, is it fair to look at this now and be like is it kind of getting close to put up or shut up time for what cats I mean they be? should have traded him this year this offseason. Like, I, I hate I've, to make these I season previews about trades because, well, we already did it with Chicago on 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 the last episode. And, like, we talked l- briefly about it with Trey or Pascal with Atlanta. And, like, it's the NBA, so it's inevitable. But, yeah, they obviously should have traded him. I mean, I, I think anybody not named, like, Mark Laurie, Alex Rodriguez, or Tim Connolly would say so. Right. I mean, I don't know of any NBA fan who thinks that they should run this thing back in a in a vacuum. I mean, obviously, what are they going to get for towns? All that stuff matters. But like, I just don't think that the ceiling of what they can be is much higher than what it was last year, even though they didn't get the best version of towns. Like I, I, I try to make the case to myself and we're going to do this with best case, worst case and over under later on in the in the segment of like, OK, if they get a healthy towns and they are 20% better as a tandem. They figure some things out. They get better at the skills they need to get better at. 
how much better does that make them as a team? And I just think that the, the limit is so low on that because mm-hmm. the, the fit is just so flawed. Like, to your point about the defense, I think, yes, he's never going to be great at defense, but I think what he's best at is the stuff that centers do. And yes. when he last year and and like the Denver matchup got a lot of attention because they matched up well but I think that's because even though Denver is impossible to guard they do simplify what you have to do to defend them stick to your man rotate and switch when you need to don't foul rebound like it it isn't the Warriors that you're trying to keep track of and so I think that matchup actually made them look better. But even in that series, and obviously at times during the regular season, asking Carl Anthony Towns to navigate screens and guard like movement shooters, like Michael Porter Jr., or I watched it early on in the regular season last year before Towns got hurt with Cam Johnson in the early part of the Sun season at, at a home game that I attended. And it's just like, it's a nightmare, but what, what do you expect? You think he's going to be like out there like he's Alex Caruso? What are we doing? Like, is he going to turn in? Yeah, he's never going to be like Draymond. Like, he's not going to be able to just do all these different things defensively. And it's like, if you told me the best way to to set him up for success defensively was like a Mike Conley type of point guard and then like bigger forwards like Jalen and Kyle Anderson and and whatnot. And Jared Vanderbilt, right? Who they traded, who was on the team the first time. And Beverly was on that team. Like, that's what I meant by that was kind of the the peak version of it. Yeah. And it's like, you could have just kept running versions of that back and instead you went for Rudy Gobert. Yeah. (sighs) We didn't say Ant, but I I just want anybody who's worried, if you're finding yourself on this feed or this YouTube channel and you're worried, do these guys know how good Anthony Edwards is? Or like, do they know what's up here? Whose team this actually is? I would just recommend hit subscribe and follow first and then listen to like any episode we've done over the past like six months. And inevitably we will mention Anthony Edwards and talk him up plenty. But I mean, he is the best player on this team. I just think if we're being realistic about the ceiling and floor and future, that is Towns, and I, I don't know how you can make a different case, honestly. Yeah, you could say, like, Ant's going to ascend to, like, first-team All-NBA this year, and, like, that's your case, but I think, like, that could happen, and I'd still be like, okay, what's going on with Carl? Because I kind of just need Carl exactly. to, uh, like, Ant could get there, and it could elevate them, but is it enough to really, like, change the trajectory, and it's, it's on Carl. And tell me the last superstar who even took a leap like Ant did, uh, could this year offensively, who had such bad fit and spacing on the offensive end of the floor that overcame that and still turned the team I mean, into a Dame great season, offense. Look at Dame's season last year. He had this amazing mm-hmm. All-NBA season, and it just like didn't matter for because the rest of the roster wasn't up to stuff. And this was, I mean, Ant was an All-Star last year, and this was a bottom 10 offense. So that's what yeah. we're talking about, you know? Yeah. And Carl has to be part of them. Like, And it, look, Chris Finch, as a coach, should be the offensive guy. Like, That's kind of what his reputation is, is building really interesting good offenses i will we'll never know but i'd also love to know what he thought about the gobert trade like that's not an original thought but i like mm-hmm. it's not exactly how i'd ever imagined like his systems working coming to understand them all right player will be talking at the end of the season kind of brendan to me this was like a one of the tougher rosters in prepping for this because i don't they don't have like an ascendant young guy like in a way that you could be like, oh, hey, they have like this fringe rotation guy who's really going to break forward in some way, right? Like that's not what we're staring at here. So, and you could go Ant for this, I think. Everybody's but, talking about Ant. He was the number one scorer on the national team. So, yeah, I think that would be underselling yeah. him a little bit. 
So I would, I just went Jaden McDaniels. I think this is someone who has growing potential as a three, four is going to get more experience on ball is going to continue to be a vital piece for this team. And is just such a sensational defender. I love what he is. I love the upside of what this guy is going to be. I think this, like we're just scratching the surface. He's just 22. Like we're really just getting into what he's going to be as a player um, for nearly 40% from three last year. If that's real, that's a really, really big deal. Last year was a big step forward for him, but he still feels like, you know, 12.1 points, you know, four boards, two assists, good numbers from three. The, a lot of the value is off is on the defensive end, but I think there's another offensive level to come that really could unlock a lot for him. And if he gets to 15 a game and remains at efficiency and things click and the defensive stuff stays there, you have like just a great player. Those aren't even those aren't even crazy jumps, but there's just little things to come from Jaden that I think are, are really yeah. really intriguing. Absolutely. I, I think the world of this dude. I think we talked about his contract extension earlier in the off season, and we it at least came up that it could be a max. Right? Like that's yeah. that's the potential we're talking about. I, I don't think you're if you were to say pay Jaden McDaniels for what he's done in the league, you would you would not give him a max, but he's twenty two, so easily could become worthy of that. And I looked up uh the basketball index stat website has uh these talent metric grades that they give out based on like minute skills, granular skills that they give ratings for. And it's an A to F scale perimeter isolation defense for Jaden McDaniels last season. They actually did not give a letter. They put a crown icon uh, in that, in that slot. So I think that that like illustrates what this dude can do, but Offense and if he gets a little bit bigger and stronger, like that, obviously that evolution always happens for young defensive players. Mikhail Bridges had a, a similar process and everything, but offensively, what's exciting about him is he took a leap in basically everything you would want to see him take a leap in last year. Got to the line more. He upped his assist rate. Turnovers went up a little bit, but that's fine. Got to the rim more. Got to mid range more. Finished better. And he's been a great three-point shooter spot up since he basically stepped foot in the league. I mean, like when you start to paint it all together, it's like kind of is a max player. Like that kind of is a Mikhail Bridges type, a, I mean, OG Ananobi, like those guys who we talk about as some of the most valuable possible role players to have in the entire league. He's well on his way to being that. So I think that's a great call. I think most NBA fans know him as the guy who broke his hand. Which is a real bummer. I wanted to see him on that stage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, so, last, just the last note on him. His stuff mm-hmm. last year basically was on the same usage as he had the year before. 15.7 usage last year was at 15 the year before. That's like a very minor difference. Uh, Dunks and threes has a, has a expected wins as like a stat they have. He, had six, he added 6.3 expected wins to the Wolves last year. That's in the top like that's in the 86th percentile. That's mm-hmm. outrageous for a guy that is that low usage. He rates out so well in terms of your in, in terms of data numbers, in, data yep. numbers in terms of the data, in terms of analytics. Yeah, this is a guy that like if you watch and then you look at the numbers, it all kind of clicks together in a way where you're just kind of waiting for you know what is the the ceiling here and and what can it go. And he was one of these guys that early in high school and in college did have the ball more. 
and has mm-hmm. already successfully worked backward to be a three and D role player in the NBA, but Which is, is now at That's a hard. It is. And he did it right away. Like it's so impressive. And then now he is already ahead of schedule where he can start to kind of retrofit back to, all right, now let me remember what it was like when I was 17 and, and start to add some of the on-ball reps over time too. Uh, my player we're going to be talking about at the end of the season is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I figured we would talk about Jaden McDaniel, so I did just want to talk about Nikhil as well. He was awesome in the Nuggets series, guarding Jamal Murray and knocking down his threes. I think that's the part that has gotten lost. Like he always had the on-ball ability dating back to Virginia Tech defensively, like guarding at the point of attack is exactly why he got drafted. But the question has always been, can he make his threes? And he did it in that Nuggets series. Uh, He was at 39%. He was at 37% in the regular season and 41% the regular season prior. He was good for Canada, similar type of thing to what we saw for Minnesota. He started out early in the FIBA run, not a huge part of their rotation, playing but not closing, whatever. And then he just earned minutes because if he can defend, make good decisions with the ball and make threes, there's no reason to keep him off of this roster. And they got rid of a lot of, they got rid of Jordan McLaughlin and their um, other backup point guard Jalen Noel and so this year is kind of set up for he can be one of the guys who steps up and and provides some of that I think the opportunity will be there so I would not be surprised if you know come April he's in their playoff rotation pretty definitively yeah I'm I'm a fan I believe in bigger guards I believe in how he fits with Ant uh I think he's like I think they have a need long-term regard here just just considering Mike Conley's age and if he's someone that can really further establish himself to be a little more crisp a little more kind of involved in that way that's that would be a really big win I think for this group Mm -hmm. would you say would you agree yeah I mean they just re-signed him so obviously they are ready to kind of watch that breakout happen and they've always drafted well they've always developed well I mean even before Tim Connolly but he did the same in Denver so I would expect I just think young players here are going to improve and and contribute at a high level and and he should be one of them uh, best lineup last year really cheap contract Con- too, by the way for for uh, yeah. walker just looked it up i just forgotten it less than five million years really good for for this guy it's really good value absolutely last year best lineup for this team high volume they had a lot of weirdness because of towns being out and them trying to figure out the two big stuff but if you just combine volume and whatever conley ant McDaniels, slow-mo, Gobert. Pretty understandable why that would be their best lineup. But overall, if you just look at the on-off, Towns was a larger net positive for them when he was out there than Gobert. There just weren't enough consistent lineups to show that in the data for one unit. My question before you give yours is, did your best lineup have both of the bigs? So, yes, but I, I had a caveat okay. to myself for that reason. I, I had, like, a little note where it's like, are we sure? Like, are we sure? Yeah. I, I tend to lean no, but give me yours. Which is, so my, my first instinct was to go Conley and McDaniels, Kako Bear. Just put your best, most talented five. Their starting lineup, basically, right? Yeah, just say that's your five. But my real instinct, my real, like, I think this works better is Conley, Ant, McDaniels, Kyle Anderson, and Cat. Okay. 
So my best lineup for the 2024 Minnesota Timberwolves, Mike Conley. I thought a lot about not having him on here, but I just think the numbers showed how important and valuable he was for them when he was out there. Point of attack defense, getting their offense going, trying to figure out the two big stuff. I think on the net, he has to be out there. Anthony Edwards, no brainer, scorer, shooter, defender, uh, athletic energy, everything you need. I have Nikhil Alexander Walker in this lineup. I believe enough in the fact that he can provide team defense as well as on-ball defense and enough shooting and passing to be part of their best lineups for the first time in his career. I have Jaden McDaniels. That should come as no surprise. He's part of how their small ball lineups have to work. I'm expecting a huge breakout scoring defense, everything we just talked about. And then Carl Anthony Towns is the center that I'm going to have here. I'm going to basically bet on they can recreate the magic of 2022 when Gobert is off the court and and that they can kind of cobble together a lineup that brings out what was so tantalizing and interesting about their run that first season when they broke through together. Um, Obviously, the problem is they have a seven-footer playing 32 minutes a game who is holding these lineups back from actually playing together. So so here, here's the problem. Here's where I think the real problem comes in for them with these lineups. I think your lineup's great. I think what we're outlining here is great. Conley and McDaniels and Cat, and then you put whoever in that fourth spot, I think really works. I think Anderson I lean to just because... I like the defense. I like the, the ability to kind of give them a little bit of in-between offense. That kind of has a counter to Cat, and I think the size and the wing is good. But Dekele Alexander-Walker can defend different spots. You can have this different flexibility. This team could keep that core identity with what they're doing with these lineups if they had just, like, used what they did to trade for, for Gobert on, like, a wing. And, like, then Nas Reed could play more because Nas Reed is fucking awesome and Nasri mm-hmm. deserves to play more and should be like an absolute killer on this team when he's playing by himself at the five. And yet, how hard is it going to be to find minutes to, to play Nasri at the five just because of of Gobert and Cat? But I, honestly, the further we get into this and we talk about this, I have no idea how you're still like a part-timer defending the Gobert trade because like the more and more we talk about this, I'm just like, why? You had something here. Yeah. I'm like, it's, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm just like it's, staring it's, at it and it's like, why? No. So it what it really is is just I it's more like a, a bigger thing of like assist. you love screen assist. That's it. Yeah. You just love them. It's you know? just really one of my passions. Give me one second. So people can actually see me as I defend yeah. the Gobert yeah. trade. We're, um, not, we're not cutting that by the way. That's staying in. No, no, that's that's just my athleticism showing, reaching up and, and pulling and coming and sitting right back down. Um, you, people that are watching YouTube, by the way, you have a great hat. I've been meaning to compliment this on you this whole time. Thanks. Yeah, a very good. It's for a shout out. Shout out, Garrett. Uh, I found. I went to a concert one time with my one of my best friends. From I've known him since I was eight, and we saw this hat in the bathroom at like this super like janky club bar thing that this band was playing at and i was like i just saw this dude with an untitled name. it was like right when it had come out and he was like nice nice and then my birthday comes around and he came in clutch that's a good friend hooked it up that's a good hooked friend. it up good friend so that's a uh, shout out garrett but the only defense that i have of the gobert trade really is like i just get tired in nba fandom that everything has to become like trolling and like trashing and it's like because the gobert trade is a meme then the wolves suck and it's like just think a little bit harder that's that's really the only defense that i that i have of it but no i i'm fully on board and i genuinely am i'm not just saying it to be like revisionist and be like you know hip about it and be like well i love what they had in 2022 but i really did and i really thought that was like the most clear vision of a cat team that did not have jimmy butler on it that we've seen and it felt like the young talent was coming but what's funny is they kind of are shadow building their their post 
trade of one of those two guys team already with the yes. Nas Reed extension. They're going to extend Jaden McDaniel shortly. They kept Kyle Anderson. They're re-signing some of these young guys. Like you can already kind of see the more small ball team that's shaping up once they get rid of one of these two dudes. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, all right. Best case. Can we, can we jump there? Yeah. I have the Towns Gobert tandem. Um, Towns adjusts a little bit. Gobert bounces back. Conley has another year in him. The young guys get better, and the offense is good enough, improves enough to be a top six team in the West. Yeah, I agree. I think the same thing. I think if it's all about Ant ascending in the way we expect, and I think everything just looking more comfortable in year two, um, even without the real year to kind of figure things out, I think just because of Towns' absence last year, there's still going to be some adjustment there. But if it can just be smoothed out and you find a way to work, and even if some of your lineups are funky, lean into the funkiness, make it work, sure. profit. What's your worst case? Worst case, I have the Catco Bear tandem hits rock bottom and holds the rest of the team back. So Minnesota has to take a bad trade just to reset. Yeah, trading Gobert for like 20 cents on the dollar. Or uh, trading twenty cents and go bear for nothing. <laughs> twenty yeah. trading a dollar twenty for uh, a pocket of air. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, God, it, it even, could get it even, could get pretty rough. I don't even know where you could trade go bear. Like Charlotte? Like you trying to get like just stuff out of Charlotte? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, it's it's it would take too long to like actually math it out, but like is there any team in the NBA that would even take him if you were attaching stuff to him? He has 3 years and like 150 million, 140, 150 million left on his contract. Like is there even a team that would like roster him? Could you panic Dallas into doing it? I I kind of don't think so. I don't think so either. Which is, again, why they should have just traded Towns now. Or they should have just never traded Frigo Bear in the first place. Well, yes, but that... You're doing... You're, you're making you're making the Wolves a meme, Chris. You're going to trigger my defense mechanisms here. Yeah. I'm I a Minneapolisan at heart. I, I'm, look, I'm just I, really go north. Is that what they say? And when I, look, when I... Yeah, when I was a kid... <laughs> Like the Wolves were my Western Conference team because I just I got to pick like two games here to go to with my dad, and I always picked okay. the Wolves because I wanted to see KG, and then that morphed into Kevin Love. Mm. And now you get KG two in your backyard. But he, he, you know, he's not mean enough to for that comparison. No, that's true. Nobody, nobody, every that's earned. You have to prove yeah. it. You have to really get into some shit to get the Garnett yeah. two point oh three point oh. Uh, also, I don't know if you follow Kevin Garnett on Instagram. Um, I do. Not sure exactly why, because he's coming right now. I, I do guess. not. But uh, Katie Davidson, who used, to, who used to work for the Wolves on their media team and wrote about them and stuff, really good follow on Twitter. Um, she had pointed out this, and then now I can't look at his Instagram. I'm thinking about this that that he posts like the 50 year old who reposts every single meme that he sees. That's just his Instagram stories. I love that. It's and then it's like a lot of like Paul Pierce saying really out of pocket stuff with on KG's podcast, and I'm like. Okay, Paul, calm down. Just like spends an extraordinary amount of time with the IG app open on his phone. Like, Kevin, like, please find other things to be doing. I would love to know what the screen time is for KG on Instagram. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. All right, uh, worst case. I have the uh, under. For me, oh, yeah. you? yeah, sorry, okay. your worst case. Yeah. Look, worst case is just that they can't figure this out, and it's the same thing. It's just, does this get 
goofy. And then they also just have had this run of unluckiness, like just bad luck. Mm-hmm. Like, does someone get hurt? Just, just like, just the bad vibes continue here. And like, they're left just kind of searching for an identity when the point of Chris Finch and I think the point of some of their moves has been getting a real identity. All right, over under 44 and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have the under. This is where I'll talk a little bit about it. And we mentioned it a minute ago, but. I think we have to also be realistic about the number of things that Ant has to improve at to even get to the point where we're talking about him being able to lift as ill-fitting of a team as this one is uh, is going to be. Like, even if you think the world of him, is he going to improve as a passer, improve as a pull-up jump shooter, and improve as a decision maker all in one season enough to lift a team in a way that is like reserved for the best of the best in the entire NBA. Like that is a lot to ask for in year three of a guy who even as great as he is, uh, has a lot of things left to, to kind of fill out in his game. So that's why that case I can't quite get there with. And Again, to repeat, this was a bottom 10 offense last year. How much higher than that do you think it can reasonably get? And what are the trade-offs if they do things rotation-wise to improve the offense on the defense, which was top 10, right? And if Gobert continues to deteriorate, can he anchor a unit that you just pencil in for top 10 anymore? Or is it more of a of a conversation as to whether that's the case anymore? So maybe there's a truly dominant Gobert season even better than he was last year, and he, he reverses course and just shocks us all that makes the defense go from like eighth to third, second, first. And that might hit, help them hit the over if the offense gets a little better as well. But I think more times than not, they go under. So that's why I have under 44 and a half. Yeah, 42 wins last year, basically, according to the clean of the glass, like about what they expect to win based on their net rating, which was 0.5. That was their point differential last year. It's like mm-hmm. very much just like straight in the middle. Um, yeah. I would have the under as well. And that maybe that I think reflects a little bit on this roster. It reflects a little bit on Cat. You would think Cat is good enough to maybe add some wins here, but I just think this roster and overall setup is just it puts them in a really precarious place. Hope for better things for them, but we will see. All right, coming up next, Brad Rowland on the Atlanta Hawks previewing Trey Young's team with Quinn Sander with help. Can't wait for you guys to listen. And again, go listen to us talk about Dame too if you haven't already. Thrilled to be joined now by Brad Roland, host of Locked On Hawks, has a Patreon, has word to dime on Uproxx, and Brad, dare I say, I think one of my favorite people in this whole little basketball series, my friend, how are you? I am well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on this particular podcast with two great men. That's what I'll say. Oh, wow. Just fantastic content machine right here. Thank you for being mm. thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. All that fun stuff. Brad, I got to say, before we dive into talking about the Atlanta Hawks and everything going on with this team, I do like that you said I am well, because that reminded me of fellow Atlantean Kevin Arnovitz, who no longer yep. does podcasts, and I dearly miss him doing podcasts with Zach Lowe. But every time he said I am well, brought a smile on my face. So I'm glad that you know that that is we're still doing that. It makes me it's happy. a it's Forever a little homage, honestly, a little homage to him. Who you know I, I am friends with Kevin because he is from Atlanta, uh, and yeah, a little bit of a shout out to my guy. So there you go. All right, 
Atlanta Hawks, a team that had a interesting season last year, changed coaches, didn't hit the highs that they did the year before. We're going to start with most important player. Brad, we're gonna, I'm going to let you go first on this. I, I want to see how you maybe answer this because I, I could talk myself into a couple different things here, but there's probably a very obvious one. So where do you, where do you go with most important Atlanta Hawk? Okay, so I, I was going to ask what the interpretation is because, you know, clearly – Trey Young is the most important hawk. It's not even particularly close. Uh, but that is it. Like, I also think that Trey Young, is, Trey Young is kind of a given, uh, which maybe is a controversy because I have said this before. I feel like Trey Young is now underrated, which is kind of surprising and weird based on where I thought he would be in going into year five. Like, he's like the archetype of a player that probably shouldn't be underrated in, uh, because he averages a lot of points and does a lot of things. And uh, I generally don't. Uh, I generally find myself being lower on players like Trey Young, if that makes sense. Poor defense, scores, all that stuff. But like, I think the hate has gone too far on Trey Young. Anyway, he's the objective answer. And then there's like the other framing is like swing piece kind of thing. You know, there's the there's the lower level importance of like pivot points, and I have different answers for that. But uh, as far as objectively most important player, it's pretty clearly Trey Young. What are the we talked about this with Tyrese Halberton, uh, and I like getting the people who watch these guys literally every day's perspective on where they, where else they can go. Um, and obviously, Trey's been around longer than Tyrese, and we touched on this actually a little bit with Lamelo Ball too, Chris. With these point guards, it's it's mm-hmm. easy to think of them as one thing because so many guys in the modern NBA dominate the ball so much that it's like, well what even can change we see what they do what they want to do 50 times a game when they're handling the ball as much as they are but what within what we know Trey like we're not going to reimagine recreate the wheel with Trey Young and this far into his basketball life I don't think but realistically whether it's Quinn Snyder related Brad or it's DeJounte Murray related or it's whatever the roster is going to look like or his mentality, whatever direction you want to take it. Is there something that can change about Trey Young that would alleviate some of the uh, hatred that he does get or some of the <laughs> flaws that we obviously know he has that could make him a little bit closer to like the top, top, top version of what we think he, he can be. Yeah, I think it's multi-layered and, uh, it's on the margins, which I know you, you guys host podcasts about individual teams as well. And like stuff on the margins gets lost nationally mm-hmm. in particular, especially when it comes to teams that are not covered every day, like the teams that we kind of cover for the most part, the three of us uh, at any Speak rate for yourself. Well, yeah, not anymore. I guess the Suns are not mainstream, <laughs> but no, it, it's one of those things where like I could do 10 minutes on this and I won't, but Trey Young has regularly just regularly gets referred to as the worst defensive player in the NBA. People talk, mm-hmm. just throw it out there as if it's a fact. And like, that's, that's a pretty lazy way of framing it. I don't think that he is the worst defender in the NBA. Number one, he might've been at one point. I'll, I'll grant, I'll grant that. But also, I mean, it's kind of the same thing as the Cavs. I'm speaking, speaking Chris's language now, but how bad can a point guard be defensively? Is a, is a nuanced comment. Like, I, I don't think there's any way Trey Young is the most harmful defensive player in the league. No chance. A bad defensive center is way more harmful than Trey Young. Sure. All those things. So that's part of it. I think he's already taken a step forward defensively. Is he ever going to be good defensively? He's not. But I think he's already gone from one like, first percentile to 15th percentile or something like that. You know what I mean? He's, sure. he's gotten better. But as, as far as like the actual side of the floor that really matters for Trey, 
there's this like white whale of Trey being uh, an off ball mover. Uh, <laughs> this the Steph comparisons back to the draft, which were just to be very clear, always silly. Um, they have really never materialized like at all. He he doesn't uh, to this point. He's really never been a threat off the ball. Uh, he could be one. Um, he's a, he's a guy who can shoot from long range. Um, when he flashes it in, every, you know, just small instances, he can really be a threat there. But there's a, it's a mentality thing, and that's what kind of what makes Steph so great in a lot of ways is that yeah. he, his motor runs and he can run off the ball. And um, Trey Young, um, for all of his strengths, and again, I think he's underrated. It's not has not ever shown the willingness. That's the and I, I use that, that word intentionally: willingness, desire to move off the ball, like even to twenty percent of that. So that would be the area that I'd focus on, just being more of a threat without the ball. is Because mm. I, I think on the ball, you can rank it however you want to. Trey Young is one of the five best on-ball creators in the NBA, in my opinion. He is that good. He's incredible at it. Um, there are limitations when you're 6'1". I will certainly grant that. There are things he can't do. But um, if there is a, a, a level to jump, other than just like the broad like efficiency, because you know last year he wasn't terribly efficient compared to pre- previous years, that's an easy one. But as far as like an actual thing in his game, I would say it's taking the next step to be more of a threat off the ball to operate um, and be a little bit more malleable on a team that now has a guy who's not as good as he is, but a guy who's a real a real creator in DeJounte Murray. And that partnership's going to get a lot of attention it already has, but Trey could do a little bit more in general to just be more dynamic when he's not just in his natural element of running pick and roll. So my my answer to this is Trey Young as well, but it's in this specific context. It is a full year with Quinn Snyder, who's one yeah. of the most detailed, most innovative, most, I think, well-thought-of offensive minds we have in the league, who, in no disrespect to Nabic Millen, but, like, this is a step up as far as offensive orchestration. This is a step up as far as designing something for Trey to empower Trey, and I think also push him out of his comfort zone. Quinn Snyder can say, look what I did for Donovan Mitchell. Like, look at what I can do for you and help elevate you. I, I think that is a very compelling case and you have DeJounte there as well I think he'll be boosted by this I, I so it's to me it's it's Trey and under the crux of he gets a full year not just part of a season he gets a full training camp a full preseason a full season to work with Quinn Snyder and I think what comes out of that can't wait yeah so I didn't pick a player I picked Quinn Snyder so we might as well just kind of dive in we you know he's, he was fair. a player <laughs> he at one point played basketball so he counts um to to just tie up the defense note though one thing because I, I this afternoon watched the closeout game Boston Atlanta from this past year and like I couldn't help but maybe it's too reductive but I still kept thinking like it would go a long way if you're kind of comparison Brad of like he went from the first percentile to the 15th could he go to the 30th if he was just more decisive? Because that's the thing that makes no sense for a guy that's been in the league as long as he has. There, like, There's times when he'll stunt in from the corner and yeah, he might actually kind of jostle the ball loose. Like, he might rotate over. Like There are times when he ends up being the low man and it's like he's not going to do much, but he's there, right? So like, I do notice the reading at a higher level than it used to be. He's probably not going to get stronger. I think with the Snyder stuff, the idea of how they are even going to play defense this year is an open question. And if he's going to switch or when he has switched, that's not going to go great. But as a helper and as a executor, if he just like 
did what he, I think, knows he's supposed to do, that would go such a long way because I agree with you completely that a point guard on a pretty solid a pr- pretty solidly schemed defense with a legitimate center rotation and some wing depth isn't supposed to be that damaging. But I do think there's times when he is simply because it's like, we're switching the screen. Where the hell did Trey just end up? You know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. but why? Like, there's no real reason that he can't do that, right? Like, as long as we assume and agree that he's like a competent athlete, which of course he is, then like execute it, right? So I think that there's some stuff there and maybe that is part of the Murray thing of the less and less he might have to do offensively in theory, maybe that focus and engagement can be there and there's not the same level of exhaustion and when am I getting the ball the next time, all that stuff. But when it comes to Snyder, uh, I think defense is kind of where I look. I, I don't know. I think the personnel shift of getting Sadiq Bay and getting rid of John Collins puts them as more of a Quinn Snyder team already. So I have less curiosity about that end. I actually think some of the Murray Young stuff was a little overblown as far as like they were negative when they were on the court together, but not by a lot. They were better when both were off. Like some of those numbers just don't really, they're not so extreme that I'm worried and they're so confusing that I kind of take them with a grain of salt in general. And then they passed to each other and whatever, however you want to slice that up i think way more than people want to pretend like they did like it it worked like a lot of double guard perimeterly oriented teams operate like at the end of the day how different was it than boston with tatum and brown not not too much right so um that but defensively is where i really am curious about this team and, and why i pick snyder uh is because it feels like we're on the downside of clint capella which means onyeka kongu comes in that's not how Quinn's the way that in a Kongu is best is not how Quinn Snyder has liked to play. And again, you know, they don't have the same level of size and, and length and stuff that I think Snyder's best defensive teams maybe had. So uh, what do you think on, on that side of the floor? And uh, then we can get to the guy we're going to be talking about. Yeah, I think that it's going to be really interesting. You know, I, I'm generally with you on the offensive side real quick because, um, you know, they they played at a top five offensive level once that once he took over and that's what this team is geared to do and I think that there'll be tweaks I think it'll be much more modern approach they'll, they'll take more threes Nate McMillan is like you know it gets it gets to be reductive about how old school he is but it is kind of true on some level he likes mid rangers he likes to do his isos and like it'll, 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 it'll look more like a modern offense in a lot of ways um, but defensively you're 100 right I feel like it kind of goes to, to the tray thing too on that end of the floor. And my friend Glenn Willis, who does great stuff with all the Hawks, always says this when we talk about it as well. It's a consistency thing, like as a team. The Hawks have these great flashes, and like the next step in a lot of ways is like, can you actually do it every, every night? Like, you know, not all eighty-two because nobody, nobody does that, but like do it, do it seventy times. Be be consistent every once in a while. And defensively, is that's a lot of it. And look, I, I ranted and raved about this last year. They were so bad at the point of attack last season, mm-hmm. and. That's another thing where it's not just Trey. Trey's part of the problem. Don't get me wrong, but Dejounte was pretty bad. Uh, you know, other guys. Bogdanovich is um, at this point very good on offense and not very good on defense. Let's just say other guys involved, young guys, etc. What I would say is they had 48 good minutes of center play, especially on defense, which is usually a heck of a formula to build your defense, right? And they were so bad at the point of attack that it didn't matter in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, your point at Capella is a, is a good one. I do think that people are a little bit in a rush to bury Clint Capella. I think he's still a quality defensive player. Is he as good as he was two years ago? No. I don't. That's probably fair. Um, 
and I think it also um, is one of those things that everybody does, and I'm guilty of this. We all are of like the guy behind him is the young, flashy toy. So like, there's there's even more of an impetus to be like, okay, old old man, out of the way. We want to see what this what this guy's gonna do. And I, I, my job is to push back and say, Clint's still pretty good. I mean, especially yeah. defensively as an anchor, and he's such a brilliant communicator and all that stuff. But I actually one thing I'm more I'm wondering about, and I look forward to kind of poking around about this year even more so, is you know Quinn. I don't know that Quinn has to play that way defensively. I think mm. a lot of that is that Quinn had Rudy. You know what I mean? I don't think that Quinn is necessarily yeah, married sure. to playing the way he did in Utah defensively. It just made every sense in the world when you have the guy who was probably the consensus best defender in the league or always top three in the league for the majority of that time to build your system around Rudy. That, that made perfect sense. Okongwu uh, is not Rudy in many ways. So I look forward to seeing that. But certainly I think that Quinn – uh, while Brendan cheated and picked Quinn as his as his most important player, uh, if that was an option, I would have gone that way too. I mean, the, the Hawks are saying this too, which is kind of I can see both sides. Like they didn't really do anything this offseason except for get worse by trading John Collins, and they're kind of putting all their eggs in the hey we have Quinn Snyder basket. And I get that because Quinn's an awesome coach, um, but he kind of is tasked with not single-handedly, but being the main difference in a 41 team back to 41 win team, basically back-to-back seasons and taking that team and being a, you know, they're looking to jump into the high forties or whatever it's going to be. And like coaches can do a lot, but um, it's, it's a lot to put on him. And I, I do think that defensively is the obvious side because on offense, this is a very, again, too simple on purpose. If you have Trey and, and enough shooting, you're going to be good on offense. How good mm-hmm. is the margins? But it's a top 10 offense with Trey rolling out of bed in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it could be a top three offense if everything goes right. Mm-hmm. Defensively, they've never, even when they made the conference finals run, they were basically playing maybe league average defense for a couple months. And that's the high watermark in this entire run. So yeah. Quinn's going to be tasked with kind of building that side of the floor back up to where it was. And the personnel, honestly, is not great still. So, uh, so some coaching magic on that side of the floor will be necessary. Yeah, when when he played, yeah. Let's in a, one last thing. <laughs> when they pl- if he can just get them to be better on in transition defense and rebounding, I think that would go a long way because I think those were two things that they did in that conference finals run. And if you look at the personnel, even though they've downsized and Collins isn't there, Utah played small after they got rid of Favors and still were good on the defensive glass. So I yeah. do think that's an emphasis of his. You'd hope that even just the yelling at everybody about it all the time or whatever it takes could could help there and and clean some things up if you're not getting battered on the offensive boards every night. But but yeah, let's go to player we're going to be talking about, Chris. This to me is an Nick Okongu. I mean, I, I think that to me is, I think there's at some point he's going to usurp Clint Capella as the best hunter on this roster, if not the starter. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe there's a trade to be made with Capella's salary or something. But I just love Okongu. Okay, hold on. No, we're, we're let's back up. You always say, I don't know when you're giving the case for this stuff. Do you think Danyaka Okongu <laughs> yeah. should start? Do you <laughs> yeah. think they should trade Clint Capella? No. Give me, make the I case would... for our guy. We want to interview Danyaka Okongu, Chris. Pump him up. That's true. I would trade Clint Capella, but you would ha- you have to do it in a way that you're threading a needle with that kind of trade, right? Like you have to bring something back. And is it also lumping in some of your young wings? Is it whatever picks you do have access to, which isn't all of them because of the DeJounte Murray trade? It's not the easiest world trade to make. It just isn't. When you're trading someone like that who will have to get paid by the next team, but you also need to improve, it's tricky. I think Okongu is going to be the best center in this team by the end of the year. 
I, his profile is amazing. He's incredibly smart. He can kind of do everything you'd want him to do. You look at his cleaning the glass profile. It's just like, yes, he maybe fouls a little bit much. And I would kind of want to know if Brad thinks like that's just uh, what that is. Like in the, if, the, if the numbers are noisy, if there's something to be fixed there. But block shots, get steals, rebounds on both ends. Like that's a very mm-hmm. complete center, despite the fact that he's not the seven-foot behemoth. He's awesome. And I think mm-hmm. real basketball nerds already know, but I think this is the breakthrough Okongu year. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot to get to there, and I'll, I will, I'll breeze through it. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a weird situation. I always say I'm, I'm pretty surprised that entering year four of a Kongwu, that they're both still on the team. And I say that yeah, not as a value judgment. It, it's just very surprising that, especially because of what you just said, Chris. If you told me uh, number one, I, I love that draft pick from a value standpoint. It, it was the best player available pick. Uh, they already had Capella, and they said, "You know what? We we just like this guy this much. We're just going to take him." And I like that. Mm-hmm. And I like I had him. I had him rated very highly. It's just the the crazy part is for a Congo to have. I'm not saying he's a proven starter because he's not. He hasn't. He hasn't. He's not been tasked with that yet. But the fact that I think we know he's good already. We already know. We've seen him play well in the NBA over a fairly large sample size. If you told me that, and then you also told me Clint's going to still be on the team in year four, I would have been baffled by that. That makes no sense to me in a vacuum. But then you go to, you know, I, I've gone back like months and months and months, and it's like, okay, should they have traded Clint by now? And I think probably yes. And I, I say that as someone who is objectively quite high on Clint Capella. I just think asset management-wise, you know, all those things, like it would have made more sense at some point to move him, even even this summer. Um, but they mm-hmm. there are reasons not to, too. And it's, it's sort of the the overarching thing with this Hawks team is like, what are you actually trying to do? Like, what are your objectives organizationally? Um, and there's some meddling from the top and ownership, which I will avoid if I can on this podcast. But it's like, they know that they if they trade Clint, they'll get worse. And they, they, they just yeah. not wanted to get worse objectively in that way. And uh, Trey loves Clint, and that's not the reason they're keeping him. But, like, that partnership makes a lot of sense, and it makes total sense. And he, that's why they traded for Clint in the first place. Well, and doesn't it kind of feel like that Miami series is a little bit of a harbinger of, like, well, we might have two good centers, but what happens if we only have one and then there's no backup and then we're yeah, really exposing Anyeka and all that? Yeah, that's the thing. And it's like and you watch you watch their, you know, when the Hawks beat the Heat in the play in this year, which did happen, which is hilarious that that happened in the play in. Um, they just mauled Miami on the interior and Clint had like 25 rebounds and it was incredible that night. Mm-hmm. And it's like you see those flashes and I'm not anyway. But uh, Akongwu is the guy. He, and by the way, they're just they're they're so different. Like they're both, other than just kind of being non-shooters, everything else about those guys is so objectively different. They have to play differently. That's something I'll be interested to see how Quinn handles that too, because it's like hard to when you're two guys. Yep. Your whole theory is we have these two awesome centers, but they're so they play differently. It's just this odd thing. But Akongwu, I I still like the answer from Chris. Like I think Akongwu is the combination of a guy who is young enough, who has real pedigree, who we already know is good. Like he said, like we know he's good, but like how good is he going to be? I don't know. Uh, but I look forward to finding out. I just think that you know, even Hawks fans, as you might imagine, are clamoring for more of an Onyeka, and they want they want to start him. The thing is, I don't think you can realistically start a Kongwu with Capella on the roster. I just don't think that works. Like just politically, salary cap wise, if you were gonna if you wanted to clear the decks for a Kongwu, 
you need to trade Capella. He's too good to come off the bench for a team that's sure. projected to be the seventh seed in the East. You know what I mean? Like, and they and they didn't do it. And every every year they they flirt with trading him, and they just haven't they haven't mm-hmm. pulled the trigger yet. It happened last year. It happened this year with Dallas. It happened with you know I have endless lines of this, but uh, at some point. And I've said this for literally three years now. They have to make a decision at center. And they just haven't made it yet. And I think it's eventually going to be Capella traded. It could be in the next month. It could be in February. It could be next summer. I think by next summer, the smart money would be Clint not being on the team anymore. But I don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah, don't love the Dallas package or whatever it even could look like for them. Just what I think Atlanta needs. I don't really think Dallas necessarily has. That's and the problem. Also, it's like they, they yeah. don't want to. They don't want to trade him and get nothing back. Like they they could have moved yeah. him by now, if and they, they shouldn't. To, right. That's this yeah. weird thing where they could trade him to ten different teams if they don't worry about what was coming back, and they just don't well, they, they yeah. can't. They, they can't do what they did with John Collins, I think, is the very simple way to put it. They can't just dump him at, and get the, off. at the same time. And, you know, I will refrain from my long explanation on Collins, but like they handled that as poorly as humanly possible. They they, they <laughs> yeah. single handedly killed his trade value and held him and held him and held him and tried to trade him and tried to trade him to the point where they had to they had to in their minds, but financially give him away. And you couldn't give him away and Capella away in the same offseason. Like that would have been a disaster. It already kind of was a disaster the way they handled Collins. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. That it's it's very similar. And like Capella's value is just going to keep going down and down as he gets older. Even if he's a good player, sure. it's just like you got to make a choice. Well, that's the other part I was going to say. It feels insane that Clint Capella is 28 years old, uh, 29 years old. Yeah, he's probably for old. Nevertheless, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so mine is, and we can go quick on this one because I don't actually think that there is necessarily a ton to talk about with this guy. But I have AJ Griffin as mine. I don't think he's the highest ceiling player just because I think his athleticism is not elite, and he, his size, uh, stature, and I mean he's six six, six five, six six. But you know. Um, doesn't profile as the type of dude to me that's going to have some sort of like all NBA upside or anything. But uh, I just think he's a player who I expect to, whether it's at the beginning of the year or if there are some other trades along the way, slot into this rotation and just make a positive impact. And that's a, a pretty nice hit in the later part of the first round in the draft, which they tend to do a lot of. I just don't think he got a lot of attention last year. So I think uh, he'll, he'll, he will get it this year and I hope he plays and he played plenty last year. So uh, that's mine. Who is yours, Brad? Uh, I, I was, I was going to say a Kong Wu. So Chris okay, stole that for me. Uh, the other sleeper, I will just say that I'll say the name out loud of Jalen Johnson. I think he is a yeah. guy that people, um, if things break correctly, we could be talking a lot about him in the future. Very hastily done, uh, Clint Capella trade. Before we move on, uh, Lou Dort and Kenrich Williams for Clint Capella. Yeah, I, I flirted with OKC, and they just don't want to do it. I don't, I don't, I don't think they want to do it. I think they want yeah. to let Chet uh, live, man. Well, yeah, I don't want. I don't but, like. Do I? But Chet also might just get like bullied into the ground if he plays as a full time five. Yeah, there, there's the theory of, uh, of of Chet and Wemby both doing the kind of like we're gonna play the four a lot situation. Well, I mean, uh, there, there's a the team that I cover literally just did this with another kind of yeah gen- no, I, generational I, skinny big man with like, I, with I, a I spread uh, a, a a spread four right uh, uh, yeah, a shooting like, four. Yeah, I do think yeah. I do think that yeah exactly. I do think that Clint would help OKC a lot. I just don't know if they want to go that direction, and I don't blame them. Like he's just kind of he's a, he's a very particular fit, and I think you know I think honestly we mentioned Dallas. Dallas is the team that should want him the most in the yeah. whole league. I would argue is Dallas. It's just that they don't have a perfect. And in fact, I know this happened. 
Dallas wanted Clint, and Atlanta said, "Okay, give us Josh Green." And Dallas said no, and that was kind of that was kind of the discussion. That hey, but my thing is, like, the do they even need Josh Green? Well, no, but you know what I mean. Josh Green's an interesting two potential sure. two way wing, and that, that's the guy yeah. you asked for. You, but you, you look at the rest of course. Of it's roster. it's absolutely with the way the negotiation should have gone. But I guess if I'm Atlanta, I might be looking elsewhere. I mean, I don't know who I would target. I was thinking in the back of my head. I mean, uh, very much a. a a wormhole that we don't have to to go down, but uh, the Aiton thing, if it doesn't happen with Portland, maybe if Portland is really sold on like we want, they don't really have any centers on their roster right now if if Nurkic goes out. So maybe that's one where they could trade, I don't know, maybe you get like some salary in Nasir Little or something. Like, I mean, that's ugly. But why does Portland want a 28-year-old Clint Capella? I I don't really know why they want a 25-year-old DeAndre Aiton, to be honest, but if they're sold on a center... Yeah, at least you could say with Aiton, uh, and I know how you feel about Aiton to some extent, uh, and I'm not the biggest Aiton guy in the world either, but at least you could mm-hmm. say he's young enough to kind of grow with their guys. Yeah. If they liked him a lot, like, okay, he might be your guy for the next seven years. Capella's not going to be their guy for the next five years. I mean, he's, he's just too, you know, it's not, a, as you point out, it's not, it's not really an age thing with Clint. It's that it's a mileage thing, and the way that he's going to age is not going to be great, I don't think. So, I don't know. Yeah. There, there are teams that would, that would benefit from, from Capella, but I don't think Portland's probably one of them. <laughs> I mean, he'd make them better, but they don't want to be better, do they? Uh, I, no. Uh, yeah, so but- last year's best lineup, guys, uh, to pivot there, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Clint Capella. Of the high-volume lineups, that was the best one. This team's starting and closing lineup was good. Does it have to yeah. get much more complicated? I mean, one of those guys is not on the team, but what's say, your best it, lineup, Brad? It has to change now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of the challenges with this Hawks team, and they've, in an overall sense, especially without Collins on it, is building a team that has a theory on offense and defense. Mm-hmm. It's probably the number yeah. one question that I have, honestly, is like, is there even a single lineup that you like on both ends of the floor with this team? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the answer may be no, but maybe you lean into offense. So I, I think that... If I had to guess their best lineup, oh, Lord. Uh, the problem is DeAndre Hunter I, I don't think is particularly good, and he's their only small forward. Uh, so I, I would say if I had to guess their best group, I might just say the, that same group with Sadiq Bey. Uh, the other option would be uh, the – you go super offense on the perimeter. You know, Trey, it's Trey Dejounte for sure. Uh, but if you – using Chris's example earlier, if you want to have a Conway out there, you kind of need Jalen Johnson for the size. And uh, those guys partner a lot together on purpose and it makes a ton of sense. Um, But if you do that, you kind of need some more offense because Jalen's not a great shooter. Um, So maybe you go to bogey at the three and you're kind of small. Um, But I think Bogdanovich is probably their fifth best player or fourth best player. Honestly, uh, it's just the fact that he it's tough to have him in that lineup because you have the other two. You have the two guards and uh, that's tough. So anyway, my runner up fun, quirky lineup would be Trey DeJounte, Bogey, Jalen and a combo. I like it. What did you have, Chris? I, I went Trey Young. Obviously, he's the straw that stirs the drink. I went DeJounte Murray. Uh, I went Bogdanovich. I, I think there's just like a need for what he is, even if there are some concerns that where I'm trying to shoehorn him in, health provided, which obviously uh, not a guarantee with him at this point. It's It's been rough sledding. Then I go DeAndre Hunter, and then I went I went Okongu. I'm just going to believe I'm going to stick my neck out there, and then he is just going to be that guy this year. I think you could Capella in there as well, and you could convince me some sense. It should be one of those guys at the five. I don't see a lot of five-out possibilities here, but I'm putting... 
just the guys that I kind of trust on this team right now. But I would be willing to be told that, like, by the All-Star break, someone has a usurp Bogdanovich or they've made a trade or something where there's yeah. a clear answer for that fifth spot. I don't think just I'm – not, I'm not picking on you, Chris. I don't think that they would ever get a stop. And it's not because of a Kong Wu. It's the fact that yeah. if you play, if you play, if you play that those three perimeter guys with Hunter and a Kong Wu, they would never get a rebound. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be fun. It's not great. Though. That's true. Uh, but no, yeah. I, I look. I again, the big question is, do they have two way lineups? Because I could build so many offensive lineups that probably can't be stopped. If you put two shooters around, I mean, objectively, Trey Dejounte, Bogey, and Sadiq Bay, that foursome with a center is unguardable. You can't stop that foursome. It's just that you couldn't. They can't stop you either. Is the problem. Uh, so yeah. it's like we'll pick your poison. And I don't, uh, again, you're putting a lot on Quinn to figure it out. But I think that's maybe the hope is that he can kind of piece it together. Yeah, I I didn't go too far out of the box. I mean, when a team has a pretty successful lineup and most of the pieces roll over, I'm not gonna get too far out of the box. You, you, I'm glad you, you just trade your four, trade your four for nothing. That, that's the solution is to trade your power. Four. Yeah. Well that too, but no, <laughs> I, 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 am glad we hit on the Jalen Johnson, a Kongwu thing. I, it feels like we're probably too early for that to over the course of 82 games, be like statistically the best lineup yeah. that this team throws out there. Also, because I'm not even sure like over the course of the season, how much it'll actually play uh, that exact lineup. But either way, it's one that I'm intrigued by and it's probably the best, as far as what it looks like right now, way that they can get to a, an Kongwu lineup, so to speak, right? So uh, I like yeah. that. Um, rebounding, rebounding wise, playmaking wise, just versatility wise, and also you know, on the flip side, you know, you kind of need Sadiq Bay at the four when you play Capella because Capella and Jalen Johnson don't mix very well. They just there there isn't the same sort of benefit from Johnson's um, burst because his offensively like that that there's just not a, not not enough space there. We'll say. Yeah. So I think you'll see a lot of Bay and Capella and, and a lot of Johnson and like, Rabbit. What do you got right. for best case, Brad? Ooh, best case is uh, do you need a win total? Is that what you're asking me for? Or I just want, well, we, uh, we'll we'll do, we, 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 yeah, okay. we have over under coming. So we, this okay. is just vibes. Uh, just vibes. Best case, best case vibes. Um, the best case vibes is this team is best. Honestly, best case is that they're, they're number one in offense. I wouldn't say that's happening. Mm. I, more modestly, I would say top three or four in offense. You know, Phoenix obviously is going to be probably incredible offensively. Sacramento was offensively incredible last year. We, we know that. So I won't Denver. say, I won't, yeah, Denver, of course. I won't just say number one, but like best case is reasonably a top three, four, five offense in the league and a top 18 defense. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. trending toward league average. Um, and that, that formula is a 50-ish win team. On paper, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. That if you just say top five offense and league average ish defense, that's a 40, high forties, low fifties kind of win team, and that I think is where I would probably put it. That's very broad, of course, intentionally, but that that involves you know Trey being more like the guy he was two years ago. Um, you know, getting enough shooting around him, uh, that was a big problem for them on offense last year. Was a lack of shooting. They just did not. They just flat out didn't have enough shooting, um, which I, it blew my mind. And I yelled about it a lot. They went from having Herder and getting Gallinari and just didn't replace this guy with shooters, and it didn't make sense. And it, they paid for it. But I, I, I believe more in the offense than the defense. But that's the theory of the case. It's just elite offense and just enough defense. 50 ish wins. Yeah, I had. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I had, 
I was trying to think what could they be last, what, who from last year could they be? And then I really just kind of settled on they could be the 2021 Hawks again. I mean, like that, yeah. that's well, that they get enough structure. That year. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> that like basically they get enough structure. I think your point about the identity and the vision on both ends of the floor is, is a good one. And it goes back to the Snyder conversation. But it's like, can they get enough from the tertiary pieces to provide a little bit of stability and structure on both ends to form that identity? And, you know, I, ideally, yeah, knock down some more shots and, and create a few more turnovers and some of the stuff that they were doing back then um, to basically probably not make the conference finals because it's not COVID year anymore. And maybe Ben Simmons isn't between them and, and the third round this time, but <laughs> oh, ben. be, be no, as honestly, good as they were, right? To, to back you up on that, um, post-All-Star break in that season was is the on, still the only time for more than a week or two in the Trey Young era where they have played like a anything close to an elite basketball team in the regular season. They, were, they went 25 and 11 in the last 36 games that season and it was, it was because they were playing as like a like the 12th best defense in the league versus where they have been in the 22 to 26 range and the offense is mm-hmm. good but that, that's that's exactly what your theory of the case is is the second half of that season and obviously they're they're not going to be that good i don't think but we're talking about we're talking best case scenario sure i mean again if you if, yeah. if you told me right now they would be the 12th best defense i mean they probably would be a I'd probably pick them for 54 wins, that kind of thing. Like, because mm-hmm. I, I buy the offense. I mean, I there's mm-hmm. a limit to it probably, but as long as Trey is upright and they have enough shooting, the offense is going to be good. It's just the defense is the pivot. So uh, I, I like that, Brandon. Good job compare, comparing uh, the Atlanta Hawks. Because, you know, the, play, the playoff... Team to themselves. Yeah. Well, of course. I really, but the, I like... the playoff thing is what it is, though. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's gotten memed to death, of course, and for good reason. But they, they still had to go they won that game seven in, in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Like they had to go, yeah. they won a couple games where it was like, you know, and they, they also pushed Milwaukee in that series in a way people kind of yeah. forgotten. Like they didn't get well, one by Milwaukee either. So and, and like, I'm going to get emotional if we start talking about the history in which Atlanta wins that series, because my life felt has felt very different the past two years. If it's not Milwaukee in the finals, that is probably, mm-hmm. you're probably right about that, Brennan, I would say, but uh, no, it was, and look, I'm okay. not trying to say that, 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 that they should have won it, but it's just hard I'm sure you guys didn't uh, empathize, but it's like the Hawks' big problem in the last in the I, I shorthand it with the Trey Young era. But when they've been good, the last goodish the last three years, competitive, they just haven't been able to string it together. For that was the only time, mm-hmm. and that seems like the outlier. And I get that, but best case scenario, that's what it looks like, I guess. I, I would also just like you dusted the Knicks that series. In, in the first round that year, like absolutely just crushed yeah. them. And they, yeah, that was that was basically non-competitive. I mean, granted, that was a very different Knicks team than the one that currently exists. But yeah, yeah they they beat them soundly. And that, by was, the way, they were just the better team. Like that was not even yeah that not to go down that rabbit hole too much. They the Hawks were the better team in that series. Like even coming in, I was like, yeah. why are people the Knicks aren't very good? I mean, it just <laughs> it was one of those things. Anyway. Yeah, I best case I have the same. It's do they have a two identity? Just quint center elevate them, and I think for me, if we transition this to worst case, it's just do some of the issues and some of these fringe guys that haven't fully found themselves. I mean, Hunter Bay, Griffin and Bay, Jalen Johnson, all kind of have to varying levels things to figure out, things to prove, things to solidify themselves as real guys. If like those don't figure themselves out in a meaningful way. Do you end up somewhere similar to you where you were last year just because some of the other things don't accelerate and that maybe keeps you from that two identity? For sure. We've seen it two years in a row. 
not that, that's not the absolute worst case of course i know you i mean injuries aside um but that's a it's a it's a maddening case where but sure i mean I, I surprised someone on a similar podcast to this. Like I was asked to do a Hawks season preview and I said, this season really pivots at the forward spots. And they were like, really? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I could, generally speaking, I think we kind of know what Trey Young is. We kind of know what Jante Murray is, even if it's not like he's not a star, like he was kind of built to be, but he's, he's a very good player. We know what the centers are. Obviously flip them around if you want to, but they're both good players. It's, 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 it's the, the quartet in my mind is what I've been saying. It's, it's, it's DeAndre Hunter. It's Jalen Johnson, it's Sadiq Bay, and I guess Adrian Griffin is like the – he's more of a wing, but you know what I mean? Th- those four mm-hmm. guys is, I think, where this, the season pivots because sure. – and especially if I had to go back to the first question of this whole discussion about whether, whether it was like most important player or pivot point, because my pivot point player is DeAndre Hunter. And that's not a yeah. sexy thing to talk about, but nationally people think that he's – been better than he's been he just not he has not been particularly good through four years he's not in been my notes I, I know i know it might sound like i'm piggybacking i have quinn snyder's slash hunter and we just didn't no, have time so well, you guys you guys are you guys are plugged in in a way that a lot of people are but you know it, it maddens hawks fans because anytime you get a, a national broadcast like he was a former top five pick his county stats look okay if you see him on the right night he makes a few jump shots and you get really excited if you watch him all night and night out for four years he has not proven to be what I would describe as a starting level small forward in the NBA, except he's been the starting small forward for the Hawks for the last three and a half seasons because he's, he's, he's kind of all they got. Um, if he's the same guy he's been, there's kind of a ceiling on what they can be, in my opinion, especially if he's, sure. he's going to play 35 minutes a game. Um, maybe he gets passed, but the problem again is that he's, he's archetypally their best defender on the wing. So it's like this yeah. give and take. And the, I think um, it's, it's like the most boring thing in the world to say this season pivots on those four guys because they're not sexy. But I really do think the difference between 42 wins and 47 wins for this group is that for, is those four guys. And if I had to pick one, it's probably Hunter. All right. Worst case, and we don't definitely have to get into this, but I just said Trey might be gone, right? I mean, like, if we're we're really just going, like, the absolute worst case that you could imagine, like, this is usually actually where the local hosts go or local people go, Chris, when we bring them on, is they they just, like, have the full meltdown brain, but... You know know um, me, if I was more more emotionally invested, that might be where I go. No, it's... Listen, that's true. I think there's been some talk about, you know, even... You guys probably miss. I think it was earlier, maybe this summer, or maybe at the deadline last year. There was this talk about like Trey being available, and tra- and it's like, no, no. But we're still, we've never ever approached the point where the Hawks have looked to trade Trey Young. Hmm. And I, I don't think we'll probably get there now. Okay. Could Trey ask out if they have another forty-one yeah. season? That's I think where you're going with that is like, if they disappoint again, would it, it should not surprise anyone if the very famous former all NBA guard looks around and says, I'd like to go somewhere else. Like that's yeah. just kind of what happens sometimes. So uh, yeah, that's a certainly a, a place that it can go as far as worst case scenario goes. And again, I don't, I don't think it's going to be the Hawks, the Hawks giving up on Trey. I think the Hawks would pivot yeah. around Trey pretty hard before they try to trade him. But okay. Trey is a very confident guy. Like I, I think Trey, uh, I've never heard anything about him trying to get out now, but you know, he lives in LA most of the time. Like he's, been tied to big cities and he's a, he's kind of a he likes to be the center of everything and if he wanted to get moved at some point if they don't win he likes to win i mean for all the knocks about trey like he's a very competitive dude like if they yeah. go out and win 38 games again that'd be three years in a row and no one's mm-hmm. thrilled by that so uh, i think Brent is on on the right track there as far as like actually worst case for sure all right so i still did have the over just to make the case briefly the number is 42 and a half they have been a 
roughly 41 to 47 win pace the past three years and you know kind of were what statistically what their record said they were last year but i think for a variety of reasons we expect some of the young guys to continue to get better the coaching impact to be a little bit higher maybe the identity to lock into place a little bit more i think that's good enough for two wins maybe you know guys get a little more out of each other between trey and Dejounte than they did in year one and uh i just think that the talent is a little bit better than 500 so uh, i actually feel pretty good about that one what did you have chris over I, I everything we agreed i just believe in quinn snyder i believe in trey young i believe in okongu i believe in a lot of the role guys like i just think even if two of the four wing guys pop that's probably enough you don't need all four of them to be good the beauty of having hunter and bay and jalen johnson and adrian griffin is that you don't need all of them to work you probably just need two of them to to be really good to be solid and good and i think that's going to happen and I, i'm going the over as well you guys know me. I am always Mr. Positive, but I am on the over here. I've been saying this since the number came out. Uh, I, you know, I'm not saying it's a lock. It's, it's not. Certainly, they, it, things could go wrong. They could win 41, 42 games again. But I think more often than not, they go over this number. I think it looks more like it did two years ago, um, as far as archetype. And that, that's what, they won 43, which isn't like a that was that was a soaring over. But they uh, actually underachieved point differential wise two years ago. It was like 45 ish win pace. Mm-hmm. I think I'd have them for like 45, 46 coming into the year. Um, this is very reductive. I don't I don't mean it that way, but I do think that Snyder in a vacuum is probably worth three or four wins over McMillan yeah. over the course of 82 games. I, I, I do kind of think that, and I don't mean that, I don't, you know, maybe McMillan is a proven veteran, long time NBA head coach is not a buffoon. Like people talk about him, like, like he's like, he's clueless and he's not, he's just, I think for this roster and this makeup and the fact that look, I think Snyder's really good. I think he like kind of proved that he's really good in Utah. Um, and that, that over the course of 82 plus uh, you know, just getting a little bit more on a tray, all that stuff. Um, yeah. Mid, mid sorry not mid 50s mid 40s in terms of wins and uh, that is it that's an over and you know i'm uh, i'm standing on that even as the resident skeptic around the city of Atlanta. here here's the last thing i'll say about this and this is maybe just to shoehorn damian lillard in any way in this conversation <laughs> atlanta atlanta is the team yeah atlanta is the team to me that if toronto or miami does get dame and i guess the bulls are billing too but if it's either miami or toronto I feel like the Hawks are the team that should be most pissed off and feel like they're getting screwed a little bit. Because the path for them to be it not in the plane is just <laughs> staring them in the face. Yeah. And if Dame goes to one of those two other teams, the path is just more congested. And I like I just seeing like Cleveland or New York or like again Philly could blow up tomorrow and I wouldn't be surprised but the other the other teams taking a step back is a little bit harder to see Atlanta has a window if Dame is not coming to the east but if he comes east and it's Miami or Toronto I think it becomes just a it, the pass for them not being in the play and even if they are better gets just a little trickier in a way that would really piss me off if I was Atlanta <laughs> thanks for yeah. saving the uh, SEO on that one Chris now we can yeah, put how Damian Lillard affects the Atlanta Hawks season that's correct no and that's right yeah, I mean we're, we're a little bit ahead of media day as, we're, as you and I and the three of us are talking right now it's just I'm anticipating as most teams in this range would the goal stated goal is going to be yeah, like don't be in the play this year for the Hawks. And so, so through that prism, yeah, I mean, just doing the math on that, like a lot of, I think a lot of projections that I have seen so far and still pretty early are going to have the Hawks in that seven or eight, in that seven or eight range, maybe six, but nobody's going really higher than that that I've seen so far. And it's like, if you add another team to the mix, especially if it's someone like Toronto below them and look, I should at least say another name for, for Brennan's SEO. 
the Hawks did talk extensively about Pascal Siakam trades. And this is a team that still has a, I would say, um, what's the kind way to put this? An an owner that is uh, hands-on, hands-on is the word I'll use, and would like to make another splash and doesn't like to lose, but also wants to watch his pocketbook and all that stuff. So this is still a team that could buy. We should always throw that out there. Like They they tried to actively go get another star in Pascal Siakam this summer, and they were fairly close to doing so in July. So like I don't think you can just for sure lock in. This is going to be the same team now as it is in February. It's still, it might be, but they are still, I think, looking to maybe as far, they're already pushed in a lot. They might push it even further if they could show some signs of life. I agree. All right, let's end the just basketball show there. Brennan's just, just not, you know, not plussed about Dame, I guess, you know, look at, look at not plussed about Siakam in Atlanta. Brennan's writing the SEO headline right now to this podcast. That's, that's no, I just, yeah. I'm just daydreaming about Yusuf Nurkic starting in the Valley of the Sun. So I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm in my own no, world over here. No, no, you are not. Uh, well, maybe you are actually just in more of a nightmare. I would imagine. Yeah, maybe but that's just, that's just one man's opinion from Atlanta, but there you go. Yeah. Real, real tough stuff for you, my guy. Uh, real tough. But that's going to be the Just Basketball Show ending here. Another round of our season preview. Thanks again to Brad for coming in and talking about Atlanta. Brad, uh, this was well over. This is long overdue to have you on. Looking forward to doing it again when Trey Young like makes a WWE like SmackDown appearance or something like that. Uh, I'm happy to come on anytime for either of you. Uh, I'm sure I will probably invite each of you on my podcast when the Hawks play teams that you cover in the uh in the coming months but uh thank you for having me i'm a listener to this podcast i'm a supporter of your work and uh if people are not already invested in this podcast maybe if for some unforeseen reason people are listening to this podcast for me for the first time subscribe to the show and i will it'll it'll be it'll be better next time when i'm not on it so there you go stay tuned i don't know about that but please subscribe to us a solid we'll (laughs) talk to y'all next week